0: Welcome to Questions That Matter, a podcast of the C.S. Lewis Institute. I'm your host, Randy Newman, and today I'm delighted my conversation partner is Katie Morgan. Katie, welcome to Questions That Matter.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I should tell our audiences, uh, uh, audience, uh, Katie is an editor and writer at The Good Book Company, which is out of the UK, and Katie and I had the great privilege of working together on my recent book, Mere Evangelism, I will tell you listeners, even at the risk of embarrassing her, that she was the best editor I've ever worked with. She uh, challenged me greatly and made this a much better book. So, uh, Katie, I'm, I'm so very grateful for your work as an editor, but I'm uh, even more grateful for your work as a writer. You've written this wonderful new book, The Promise and the Light, a Christmas retelling. Uh, that's going to be the topic of our conversation. But before we get there, tell tell our, our listeners a little bit about you. Where are you from? Um, where did you go to school? How did you come to faith? Some of those things.
1: Thank you. Yeah, you're very kind, Randy. I very much enjoyed working on mirror evangelism. Um and working with you. Uh, yes, I'm Katie. I am uh, from England. Um, I grew up in... Uh, in two places in first of all in the middle of England in a place called Leicester and then uh, in Somerset in the southwest which is a very beautiful part of the country um, and I grew up in a Christian home um, so my parents uh, yeah my parents raised me to know the Lord um, which is a great blessing I don't really remember a time when I didn't uh, love the Lord Jesus um, so uh, and on, although obviously that that faith kind of developed and grew and changed as I grew older um, I went to university in Cambridge. I studied classics, so kind of everything to do with the Greeks and the Romans, um, which was great. I did lots of Greek literature um, and then, uh, by various twists and turns, ended up at the Good Book Company um, working on books about the Bible and, um, yeah, books that aim to point Jesus, people to Jesus, um, which is a great pleasure and privilege.
0: mm well, wow, what a great, great privilege to study at Cambridge! What a, what a magical place! I've had the privilege of visiting there only once, but um, uh, I, I won't ask about competitions with Oxford, which one's the better school, because, <laughs> um, well, this is a C.S. Lewis Institute podcast, and that could start all sorts of problems. So I won't, won't go there. But um, uh, so you've written this book; it's, it's a children's book. Uh, but it's a uh, a retelling of the Christmas story. Am I correct that it's a Christmas uh, a children's book?
1: That's correct. Yeah, it's yes. aimed at eight, kind of eight to twelve year olds, so uh, so older go. children. Okay. Um, read for it really, really mainly probably to read on their own, but but could you could also read it to them.
0: Well, as a grandfather of a soon to turn six year old, I'm very very excited for Rebecca to read this book in a little bit. Mm. Um, maybe this year we'll read it to her. Um, but so how, how did you come uh, to write it? And uh, what, what, uh, this is your first book, correct?
1: This is my first book, yes.
0: And so what, what, what led you in the direction of a children's book, a retelling of the Christmas story? So it, it reads like a children's novel, um, and yet uh, it is the factual historical Christmas story. Give, give us a little bit of uh, how, how that came about.
1: Yeah, so I've I've wanted to write children's books for a long time. I used to work in a in a school with children aged seven to thirteen, um, so sort of more or less this age category. Um, and I love telling them stories, and I have always loved writing. And I just think being a children's writer is a very high calling, mm-hmm. uh, and one which I've long uh, coveted. Um, and then this book specifically. So I guess I've always wanted—I've always imagined myself, or I have long imagined myself, writing fiction books, but which would contain gospel themes, I guess, much like Lewis's books. Um, uh, But this this came about in a surprising this this it sort of suddenly happened um, that we I had this idea that I was reading um, the first couple of chapters of Luke, and it struck me how. Um, how much Old Testament uh, knowledge you really have to have in order to make sense of the Christmas story as it's mm-hmm. told in Luke and Matthew. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just continual references back to the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And it struck me that it would be possible to write a book where you were kind of um, you were being helped to understand all of those Old Testament stories. Wrapped up in a sort of narrative in the way that children's books do. You know, you have like they tell one story, but they have background stories being brought in, and, um, uh, and you, you experience different layers of time all in one story. And children mm-hmm. are quite happy with that, with experiencing that mm-hmm. in, a, in a fictional format. Um, whereas perhaps if you were to try and teach them in, in a, in a non fiction way, about, you know, all of the Old Testament references to the Bible. It would take you ages, uh, and and it would, you know, and it would be hard to engage them. Um, whereas I thought fiction would be a way of of helping children to get more deeply into the Christmas story and understand kind of where it comes from, that it's not just doesn't just kind of pop out of nowhere, but it's actually prepared for and anticipated in lots of different ways in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Uh And so, yeah, so yeah, so I pitched it and persuaded my colleagues at the Good Book Company that it was a good idea. Um, uh, I guess the other thing is that I think there were various people in the company who'd been saying it would be great if we could do more stuff for this age group, Mm. but what can can we do? Because children of this age read fiction. They don't really want to read nonfiction, which is what we mostly publish. Yeah. Um, So we might... So we've got some great apologetics books for this kind of age group which are really well done by chris Morphew um but uh, this is a kind of another way of tackling tackling this age group and trying to trying to provide for them in terms of Christian books
0: mm. oh my you've you've touched on so many things I want to just dive in i I, I do want to say um, i I'm pretty sure our listeners know i I came to faith uh, in Jesus as the Messiah out of a Jewish background and so I was fairly familiar with the Old Testament, although nowhere near as much as most people think. A lot of people think, oh, you're Jewish, you must know the Old Testament really well. And that's not quite true for the vast majority. But even so, I I didn't know anything about the New Testament. Well, actually, I I knew one thing about the New Testament. My rabbi told me that it was anti-Semitic and that Jewish people should never read it because it's the book that has fueled a lot of anti-Semitism. And uh, so when friends gave me a copy of the New Testament, I I didn't want anything to do with it. It almost felt like the thing was on fire in my hands. Um, But then later, when I finally did read it, uh, particularly starting in Matthew, I was struck with, no, it's not anti-Semitic. In fact, it's very Jewish. And it's very, it feels like it flows out of the Old Testament. And Matthew in particular would quote, all of these references from the Tanakh, the Hebrew scriptures. And, and it, it's, it's usually, it's just a short little snippet. This was to fulfill what the prophet said, and then he quotes it. And if you don't know the context of that prophet, or what, what the theme of Isaiah was, or Hosea, you, you miss the force of it. So um, I, I just really loved your book going into these uh, back stories, if you will, um, in a way that just made it seamless. So, um, but, but let me go back. You, You said, uh, being a writer of fiction is a high calling. Do you mind spelling that out a little bit more for us? What, what do you mean by that?
1: I think, uh, it's often struck me how much I've been shaped. My kind of imagination has been shaped and therefore the way I approach life to some degree by the books that I've read, I read a lot um, and I read a lot when I was a child. Um, i I've, I was reading around the same time that I started thinking about this actually I think, I was reading um some books by Philip Pullman, um the uh-huh. Historic Materials trilogy, and which are brilliantly executed, but um quite anti-Christian. But they're not anti-Christian in a in a kind of rational way. They just present the Christian Church as an as kind of this horrible authoritarian, mm. um, unpleasant system. Mm. And it struck me how, uh, if you're a child reading that, you, you're not you're not thinking to yourself, okay. Um, well, let me examine the evidence here. What is the ch- Christian Church like? Because it's not being presented as a rational argument in right. that way. Right. You're just you're just receiving an impression of. Yes. what the christian church is like right um and i i mean i i had the same experience uh I, I loved this book called *I coriander um when i was a kid which is a beautiful book but it painted the puritans in a terrible light mm. um and it wasn't until i was much older that i realized that there's so much wonder like so much that's great about the puritans mm. so much to learn from them um and it, it it's interesting i think how children's fiction can whether it's explicitly dealing with a particular religious movement or whatever, or whether it's just in the in the general ideas and the worldview that it puts across, mm. can hugely influence what children think. Um, and adults too. Um, uh, and so I think I I've just longed to write write things aimed at children that will without without being overly heavy and didactic mm-hmm, mm-hmm. will kind of influence them to towards faith or towards Jesus or, yeah. or help them to understand themes in the Gospels or, or, you know, things like that, that will speak for Jesus, even in a very subtle way mm-hmm. into their lives.
0: I love it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, you know um, I, Oh, you, know, you go ahead.
1: I was going to say, you you spoke about this in mere evangelism. I was very encouraged when we were working together on mere evangelism <laughs> because you had this section about uh imagery and how uh and how this type of thing fiction and and imagery and stuff speaks to our imaginations and speaks to our deepest longings and and our kind of subconscious feelings about things in an an evangelistic context Um, yeah and i was i was just i think as we were working on that chapter i was i was just thinking about this book Mm. and i and i felt that i had a i didn't tell you about it at the time but i felt that you were encouraging me to to go, to go for. Oh, right! Write this book.
0: <laughs> oh, all right. I love it. I'm very excited to hear that. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I I subscribe to a number of different newsletters, and I read about what God is doing around the world. And frequently, repeatedly, I see and hear pleas for the need for discipleship all around the world that is the crying need of our time and that is the specific focus that God has placed on the CS Lewis Institute so we're we're so very grateful to be involved and have been for decades in something that could very well be the greatest need of our world today. So please consider uh, becoming a financial partner with us. It would be at the very core and central uh, centrality of what God is doing in our world today. Well, and you know, part of my thinking when I wrote that chapter um, about how Lewis engaged the imagination. I, I don't think I said it all that explicitly, although I did mention it. But but my prayer was, wouldn't it be wonderful if people who hear this idea, people who write fiction, people who make films, people who write screenplays, will say, how do I engage people's imaginations um, uh, toward the light, toward the truth? So I'm very encouraged that uh, uh, you've done that. You know, there is this um, sort of famous interaction between Lewis and Tolkien that, um, is recounted in a couple of biographies where Lewis and Tolkien as friends were bemoaning the fact that the fiction that, that was around then when, you know, when they were, you know, reading fiction was all pretty dark and nihilistic and pointless and, you know, engaging people's imaginations to go in very dark directions. Mm. And there's this, Supposed quote that Lewis said to Tolkien: "Tolers, <laughs> as perhaps the the only one who called him. I don't know if anybody else called him Tolers. Tolers, there is too little of what we really like in stories. I'm afraid we shall have to try and write some ourselves. Hmm. And um, and so it it was it was out of their delight for the imagination and for fiction and story, but it was also with a mission. It was a sense of we want to." Um, prompt, stoke people's imaginations in the good directions. And mm-hmm. so um, uh, Lewis decided to write a space trilogy. Tolkien decided to write the Lord of the Rings. Uh, it was later that that Lewis wrote the Narnia books, mm-hmm. um, which are probably, I think, the best display of engaging the imagination. Um, so who, who else has influenced you? Um, either... Well, I, I'm curious. I'm, I'm intrigued that, that Philip Pullman was it was an a, an influence on you. Of oh, somebody's got to write an alternative to this guy, right?
1: Yeah. Hmm.
0: Who who else who has uh, been a, a a model or a motivation for you in this direction?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I guess there are there are definitely influences in terms of writing style. Uh, that, you know, certain authors that I really loved. Um, I really loved fantasy as a child. Mm. Um, I really liked Eva Ibbotson, um, her fantasy books and Diana Wynne-Jones and various others. Uh, I, and I, I think I really loved the way that certain writers take you into another world
0: mm-hmm. and
1: really, you really kind of immerse yourself in that world. Um, whether I mean even even if it's not fantasy I guess writers can still do that so that was another thing that I was definitely really concerned to do in this book was although I'm not I'm not inventing a world I'm trying to evoke a world both in terms of that kind of Jewish world that, that you spoke about where where you're quite saturated in in the Old Testament scriptures and and so kind of the way that you make sense of of everything that happens to you is via all those old testament stories i wanted mm-hmm. to evoke that that kind of thought world but also to 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 evoke the right the right feeling in terms of just the historical place and time um i i bought this huge copy of josephus's writings mm. and some biographies of herod the great and you know and that kind of thing i was i was anxious to to conjure up that that place and time mm. Uh, And to really so that so that so that it's a real thrill and enjoyable uh, thing to dive into this book and feel like you're in a different place and time. Um, Just for no other reason, really, than just the sheer pleasure of that, (laughs) which I had found so pleasurable in, in so many other books and still do.
0: Now I, I I I want to go in another direction then, but come right back to this spot. So maybe this is crazy, and um, um, maybe maybe our editor will say, "Why did he do that?" We're just going to delete these two to three minutes. But here goes. But you said you studied in Cambridge. You studied Greek and ancient literature. Um, well, how did that? How does that play a part in your love of literature? Um, because. I, I have a feeling a whole lot of our listeners did not read ancient Greek literature, but they may be having their children read them if they're sending them to classical Christian schools. And you know the kids are going to come home and talk about I don't even know who, um, certainly Homer, um, and the parents are going to go, Yeah, I should probably read that. Um, so, so was was that a big love of yours? And how, how did how did that how does that shape you as a writer and as if I can even. Say it as a Christian.
1: I think I heard this quote once, which I think is from Nietzsche, about how the point of studying classics is to, uh, it's like a lens through which you can look at your own world, Mm. going back to the world thing, so this is connected, Uh, that you, you entirely immerse yourself in a different, culture and time and place and set of thoughts and ideas and assumptions and that then allows you to look at your own time and place and assumptions
0: Mm.
1: in a different light great and i think that certainly i remember reading i mean he the quote is like much more pithy than what i've just said i can't remember it but but when i remember reading that quote and thinking that is true of me as a classicist and it's also true of me as a christian Mm. Um, the, cl- the classical world and the ancient Greek world are so different from ours in so many ways. Uh, although in, in other senses, very close to, you know, there are still humans. And so you can kind of, you feel this tremendous empathy or sympathy with the characters that you're reading about in in Homer or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is nevertheless a very different world and they have very different assumptions. Yeah. Um, which I think you you kind of get immersed in. I remember studying, I'd been studying something about um, cemeteries or something uh, and and kind of burials of, burial practices in the ancient world. And I was with my mother in Rome and, uh, and we were going, we saw that we were in this cemetery, which is outside the old city walls, looking at all these old Roman graves. And she said, oh, I wonder why the, the cemeteries outside the walls and i just said well of course it is you can't bury people inside a city and she said well, why not and I, I didn't know the i didn't know the answer uh, uh, but uh, the ancients would never have buried people inside the city hmm. um i think because there's this idea of kind of pollution um uh the dead the dead needs to be kept out um but i had, i had kind of internalized that assumption that you shouldn't bury dead people inside a city
0: Huh, yes
1: uh and i think in the same way, we kind of internalize assumptions in our own culture, yes. which which we haven't noticed. That's right. Um, That's
0: right. We're surrounded by it and we don't realize it's an influence on us. The the classic statement of, you know, the fish doesn't know what water feels like or doesn't exactly. get conscious of it. But when you read about another culture that still has to deal with the reality of death and you look at yeah. the way they treat it, you go, oh, wait a minute. What are they believing about death? And what do I believe? And how does my culture shape and reflect that?
1: Exactly. So, um,
0: you know, uh, again, Lewis talked about how he thought that story and fiction could sneak past watchful dragons and that uh, he was trying to sneak past the watchful dragons of resistance to the gospel. And so stories and children's stories could sneak past it. But they also... They also reveal the watchful dragons, I think. They show us, wait a minute, why am I resistant to this? Or, or why am I drawn to it? Why, why do I love going to other worlds in stories? And you know, I, every time you say the phrase other world, I, I can't help but think of Lewis's statement that maybe it's because we were made for another world. So, well, let's dig into this, this world that you wrote about in your book, um, you chose to tell the Christmas story from the Gospels as a as a, a seamless narrative. Um, how about this? W- would you be willing to read us just a portion? This would be like if if you were on uh, one of those uh, late night talk shows. This is where they would co- they play the clip. They say, "Here, let's watch this clip." But in this case, we're going to hear the author read uh, just a segment for us. This is. Um, yeah just and uh, set it up for us a little bit. Tell us why you chose this particular passage and and um whatever you'd like to tell us about it
1: okay well, I will read so this so the book is written in the first person, so it's shared between Joseph Mary and zechariah um so I'll read a little bit which is in the in the voice of zechariah mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. whom I particularly enjoyed writing of the three, I think because he 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 felt like this sort of slightly Slightly grumpy but slightly charming older older man a little bit set in his ways, and I just enjoyed that very much. Found that very easy to imagine. Mm. Um uh, I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> anyway, um so this is where Zechariah is um Mary has come to stay with Zechariah, having just heard from the angel that she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um and so Zechariah is watching her meeting with Elizabeth. I did not recognise my niece at first. I had last seen her when she was quite a little girl and we had had no word of her coming. So what I saw was an unknown young woman, simply dressed, framed by the feathery green leaves of the dill and cumin pants at the edge of the herb patch. The sunlight fell on her face, which was flushed from the day's walk and upturned towards Elizabeth who had risen to greet her. Elizabeth cried out and clutched her swollen belly as I had seen her do before when the child kicked or leaped within her. But there was no pain in her face. No, her forehead crinkled in amazement and her blue eyes sparkled like water. Blessed are you among women, she cried in a loud voice. Blessed is the child you will bear. The young woman gasped and Elizabeth moved towards her to clasp her hands. Her voice was husky with emotion. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? I froze. The mother of the Lord! Six months before, I would have scoffed at such words or been angry at them, as if the Lord God could have a mother. But now... I had changed since the angel's words to me. I would not scoff. I was ready to believe even impossible things. Elizabeth reached out a hand towards me, but she was still looking at the young woman. The baby in my womb leaped for joy, she explained, yet she seemed more interested in the visitor's child than her own. Blessed is she, she went on who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. What promises? What did the young woman believe? How did Elizabeth know these things? I grasped her hand in astonishment, wondering whether this was really my own familiar wife. And Mary, for suddenly I realized who the young woman was, shone with smiles.
0: Are you a fisher of men? Uh, do you want to be a fisher of men? Do you Do you struggle with this call that Jesus places on us to be fishers of men. Uh, Discipling others is also a significant part of that whole enterprise, and it's a way to abide in Christ. It's a way for us to know Christ more fully, become more like Him, and participate in his work of building his kingdom. So as we disciple, we become co-workers with Jesus as he helps us mature. He allows us to help him mature others and nurture them towards reproduction and expanding of his kingdom. And so we have many free small group resources on our website, uh, many different things to help you in this discipleship process, both to grow as a disciple and to disciple others. So please check out cslewisinstitute.org slash products. Oh, well done, well done. Well done in the writing, well done in the reading. Um, is is the good book company having you record it as an audiobook as well?
1: Yes, I have already recorded it.
0: Oh excellent. I believe it's
1: available already on Audible.
0: Great. Oh great. Well I'm gonna we're gonna link the uh, the 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 book the the link to the good book company both the book and the audio uh, in the show notes um um so uh, i'm guessing perhaps a few skeptics listening may go well wait a minute what, what why why retell the bible story i mean the mm-hmm. bible's pretty good in and of itself uh some might say this is risky what mm-hmm. um what, what what got you past that objection if you had it or if you've heard people uh say it and then and then tell us a little bit about the the research that you did and the background work that you did for these things but first help us get past if if somebody raises that question um uh, how how can we respond
1: yeah so we discussed this a lot when i was in when i was pitching the idea and throughout really um I think I think my feeling initially was just if we want if we want children of this age to really engage with the Bible and engage their imaginations and their hearts um we need to give them a bit more help um and 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 i and as as we've already discussed, I think fiction is a good way to do that because mm-hmm. it's because mm-hmm. of the way it engages not just the mind but also the imagination mm-hmm. um but at the same time was really keen to um to make sure that I'm not overclaiming here i mean obviously i've invented i've inevitably invented details and characters and um uh and i've I've made up my own version of it, but I've also uh, read and read and read the Bible passages to try and make sure that um what I my version of the story is at the very least consistent with um the Bible account um that there's no contradiction with the Bible account that it's so that it becomes a an amplification and an exploration of the Bible account rather mm-hmm. than um rather than Katie's version right. um, but at the same time as well, i I really wanted to help young people to um i was trying to think of how this can not only help them to engage their imaginations with in terms of the themes and the meaning of the story and all that kind of thing but actually with the bible text itself mm-hmm. so i included notes in the back which yeah. um which kind of which reference the bible passages that that are relevant for each chapter um and encourage the readers to uh, to go and look at them themselves i would love it if kids kids would Read a chapter and think, that's not how I imagined it. What does the Bible say? Uh-huh. Um, or you know, or or yeah, or that that kind of question. I remember being reading reading a lot of Greek myths as a child. Uh, I used to get cross when I would read a new version, you know, somebody else's retelling, <laughs> and I would think that's not how it happened. And I would love, I would love that to be, I would love that to be the reaction of children reading this book in Um, a way to kind of disagree with my version and to feel that they can disagree with my version Mm. but to but to disagree Mm. based on the bible um, rather than based on just their own imaginings so i'm hoping that this that this first of all engages engages the heart and the imagination in, in a way that only this format and this style can and second of all that it will start a conversation and it will drive children and families to the Bible to figure out, Oh, you know, how would I have told this? What did really happen? What do we know? What do we not know? What can we safely assume? Um, how might it have happened other than this, etc.
0: Nice. Nice. Oh, I love it. I really love it. And, um, um, it reminds me of, um, the Jesus storybook Bible, right. That tells retells stories. Um, So, what? Who did you consult for uh, research for backdrop, background, both culturally and biblically? What were some of your go-to resources for this kind of research?
1: So, I had various Bible dictionaries, Bible encyclopedias. Sorry, um, which I used for kind of geographical information, particularly, Mm -hmm. uh, but also general information about festivals as well. Mm-hmm. I, I tried to put in the kind of Jewish calendar, uh, to some degree. And so I, I consulted various Bible encyclopedias and that kind of thing. And then a few, um, just historical books about the time period. As I said, i read Josephus, who was a Roman historian, a, a Jewish, a Jewish historian writing in Latin. Right. Um, right. Good. Uh, and then I also, um, we we had a professor of i can't remember exactly what he's a professor of but an expert in these things um professor steve mason who we who read the whole book um after i'd written it and was i was which i which really made my knees knock because i was i was terrified <laughs> that he would come back and say you can't say this and you can't say that but <clears throat> sure. in point of fact the only thing that he really said was that um i i described some swords wrongly uh, he said, "These are these are Roman swords that you've described, but they're supposed to be Jewish soldiers. So <laughs> take, change the swords." Oh, good,
0: good. <laughs> so I'm glad the swords. <laughs> boy, I'm glad we caught that because, when, and when I say we, I had nothing to do with it, so I really shouldn't say <laughs> that. But um, I, I will just jump in and say that the Good Book Company uh, values theological fidelity very, very highly. So um, I'm sure they. Uh, uh, looked at it quite quite carefully, but that that's really very encouraging that you you sought out that kind of proofreading in a sense. Yeah, um, having grown up Jewish, uh, we celebrated the holidays, but mm. but we never talked about where the holidays were pointing. Um, it was just you know it was it was it was pointing backwards. It pointed backward to the time when. Uh, the Jewish people were set free from slavery or the Jewish people were provided manna in the wilderness or this or that, or it was just a time of year of a particular harvest festival or those kinds of things. But after I became a Christian and started restudying those holidays and looking at the messianic implications and looking for them, they, they, they brought tears to my eyes. I mean, I remember First time reading Moish Rosen's book, Christ in the Passover. And I mean, it was almost embarrassing that I hadn't seen these themes before. I mean, a, uh, a lamb that was slain and you put blood on the doorpost. And if you were identified with the blood, then you were not uh, uh, executed with this plague of the killing of the firstborn. I mean, it, it's just so rich with imagery. And so I, I, you, you, you sprinkle a few of those little insights into your book that help people go, oh, that's what's going on there. So mm. uh, I enjoyed it you know, from that angle of th- that side of things. Um, well, I, I, I don't want to say too much more because I, I want people to buy this book and read it, um, read it for themselves, read it to their children, give it to their children. The Promise and the Light, A Christmas Retelling, uh, by Katie Morgan. Katie, is there any other final thought you want to share with us about the writing of the book or, or what your hope is? You, you've you shared a number of things already about the hope that you have that this has for young readers, but any other thoughts about why fiction and how fiction works on us or those kinds of things?
1: I think every every year at Christmas, we we talk about what Christmas means and we often talk about it in, in an evangelistic way in Christmas services and the Christmas carol service or something, um, which in, in, inevitably means that we talk about it in quite a simple way. Um, and so we might talk about the the promises in Isaiah um, or, su- or something uh, or one particular aspect of the Christmas story, which is great. I, just, I have no problem with that. But I... I, what I really enjoyed about writing this book and researching it and thinking about Christmas for several months as I was writing it was just the richness of the Christmas story all together um, and I by no means included it all but um, there's just so much depth to explore in in the, the gospel writers and in the the Old Testament um pointers towards Jesus, and also in, uh, yeah, in the whole way that that Christmas, in the, the, the full range of the Bible, um, ha- how the Christmas story links to so much that God is doing and, and has done and will do. Um, and so I would love it if, if readers went away from this book just feeling enriched and feeling like they enjoy Christmas more, because... Because they've just seen a greater depth to it, um, but both in terms of a biblical depth, but also a, a personal depth, I guess. Um, they've seen how it how it affected people at the time, and how it, and therefore how it affects us now.
0: That's great. That is great. I join you in that prayer that it would it would uh, bring to the surface a richness both in understanding and in experience of of this uh, stunning reality of the incarnation of our lord thank you for um for writing it for doing all the research and and the hard work of writing Um, and thank you for the time that we've had our conversation uh to our listeners we hope that you'll check out this book and uh while you're on that thing called the internet that you'll check out this thing called the cslewisinstitute.org website we have lots and lots of uh, resources there your own uh, personal growth and um, things that will enhance your celebration of Christmas this year. We hope that all that we do at the C.S. Lewis Institute helps you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind.